I have to admit that uh, I feel a little bad because um, Dan has so skillfully walked us through the book of Revelation so far. Um, but he's had to deal with all the junk in a way, right? Like, I mean, the stuff that he's preached through, especially um, really from uh, the middle chapters up till 20, last, the last where he left off, um, it's, it's a hard read. Um, and he's really helped us, I think, to see the heart of the message in that, which is really hard to do. A lot of people miss the point when they're preaching or teaching a revelation. I think Dan has nailed the point in that. But I get chapter 21. I signed up to do this. I didn't realize this was going to be the passage. So I get the good stuff. Like he's had to do all the hard stuff and then I get to enter into the good stuff. So um, hopefully I'll do it justice as Dan has done so far. So a little update on our family. Um, Two weeks ago, we were looking forward to our camping trip that we take every year with good friends going to Muslikbagant Lake up in Northwest Maine. And I was out in our shed preparing, like getting our camping gear together, when all of a sudden my son runs out screaming, Daddy! And he's naked. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a little unusual in the middle of the day. (laughs) I'm like, what could be possibly going on? Well, it turns out he was doing his business when all of a sudden the toilet erupted underneath And I come in the house, I mean, the rest of the family, we're all freaking out. And literally, we have old faithful happening in our downstairs. It just, like, explodes coming out, like gushes, gushes of water. It's leaking down through the floor into the cellar. And then it stops, it subsides, we're like, okay, and then it happens again. And it's just this periodic, like, over and over and over again. I'm like, I get a hose to try to get stuff out of out of the, imagine the siphon idea, right? Okay, stupid me, but it worked, so without any casualties. Um, I make this, like I get all our drop cloths and towels, put it to block off the rest of our house, because I'm just picturing this, like going through the hole downstairs. And it keeps going, we're calling public work, like what's going on, is there a pump going? Like, we don't know what's happening. Finally, I go down in the cellar, and again, it's just like a waterfall coming down. Thankfully, it's an unfinished kind of wet cellar, but that means we have a sump pump down there. And it turns out there was a block between us and the road, and the water would come down into the cellar, fill up the sump pump, the sump pump would go off, try to go down the drain, and come back up out the toilet. So we literally had Old Faithful happening for a good 20, 25 minutes. I unplugged the sump pump, and it's like, we can breathe. But what's left, right? So the people come, they clean it up, everything, and now, so what, you know, what are we left with is this kind of a ruined bathroom and entryway that still hasn't been worked on, two scars in our front yard, and a bill, right? (laughs) Pretty hefty bill. Um, But in a way, when Revelation 20 ends, in a sense, that's actually the picture, right? You have Babylon called like a prostitute, all kind, you know, the merchants come in, they're selling, they're oppressing the poor, and God comes in and wipes them out, right? His wrath, in the best possible way you can understand that, takes care of the core of the problem, but what are you left with? So imagine John seeing this vision, right? And again, um, Dan has helped us to see, like, imagine being at the Topsom Fair this week, right? These visions are like, oh, I'm looking at this one ride, oh, now I'm looking at this booth, oh, now I'm looking over here. 
So it's not necessarily like a chronological perfection. It's more a picture of what God is doing. So John sees at the end of Revelation 20, the end of judgment, in a way it's like my bathroom. It's all done. And it's junk, right? And that's where we enter in today, into Revelation 21. What happens next? What happens when God does judge all that's wrong and evil? Is there more to the story? Especially for these people that have been hoping for that because those are the powers that have been against them for much of their experience. And so we're going to walk through Revelation 21 this morning and get a picture of what John sees. So let's start with the first eight verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. I love to surf, so I don't like that verse. I'll explain it a little bit better. (laughs) And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will enter, inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshippers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So the first thing John sees when when God gets his attention to a different point of view is a new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was gone. So it's interesting, I think when often when we think of heaven um, and kind of in the modern popular version of heaven, right? It's that we're here on earth and then we'll get to get out of here, right? And go to heaven. This is a very different picture, right? When John sees the judgment and he's looking at kind of the old heaven and the old earth, it's all kind of part of the picture for John. God turns his point of view and it it would be like me looking at my bathroom, turning my back, turning back and looking, and it's like those house shows at the end of the show, right? Everything's redone like that. We're not having to wait for people. Like we're not having to go through all the mess of cleaning it up, right? So you think God's people who are faithful and victorious, they're left with the judgment, but they don't have to clean it up. It's not, that's not their job to take what is just like decrepit now and left. God instead renews it like that. John sees an instant vision of what is made new. And that I think that's the point of the sea was also gone. Is that the sea in all of Revelation, and in fact a lot of the scriptures, is all about the chaos, the evil, the disorder that 
we and our sin and, and conspiring in a sense with the devil and his rebellion against God have brought upon all of creation. In verse 2 he says, he's watching the holy city, the new Jerusalem come down like a bride, right? So now instead of junk, right, he's seeing something new is about to happen. A wedding is a picture of something new, a covenant about to be fulfilled, and a new life that's about to begin. And that's what's happening here, is John's getting a vision that God is the one doing all of the restoration. It's not up to the people to try to fix all the problems that have happened in the earth. It's interesting, Romans 8, um, I've been sitting in that passage most of this summer, um, and towards the end it talks about how creation is frustrated and groaning. All of creation is frustrated and groaning. And what is, what is it waiting for? Renewal. Yeah, renewal. And actually, Paul says it's waiting for the people of God, the children of God, to be revealed. So imagine when John, if he's carrying that in him, that message that is core to our faith, he's seeing it happen. The bride is coming down. The children of God are being revealed, which means all of creation now is opening, up, opening itself up to rejoice. The sea is gone, and what's here now instead is a new heaven and a new earth that can rejoice. Amen. They can rejoice. And so John hears now in his vision a loud shout. So I imagine it to be a little bit like Wendy's voice. If, like, <laughs> imagine if we're all talking, we're wanting to get the service started. I could turn to Wendy and say, can you shout, please? <laughs> and her voice would carry the day, right? Mine doesn't always, but her voice. And so he hears something, and right, like, imagine if you are in a crowd, you hear a shout, what do you do? You turn, you turn towards it, right? You're, you're like, something about noise gets your attention, even sometimes more than sight. And so in the midst of this vision, John now hears a shout from heaven, and it's an interpretation of what he's seeing, and it's that God's home is now among the people. So again, it's not a picture of us going to heaven here. It's a picture of God inhabiting all that we know as home. Being with us. He's with us, right. And we're going to see later in this passage what that means about, like, for us and our experience in relationship with, with other people. Uh, but God's making it all new. He's starting a new, um, a new chapter. The way, if you've ever read C.S. Lewis, The Last Battle, which is the last segment of the Narnia, Chronicles of Narnia, um, he's taking like these Isaiah passages and this Revelation passage, basically he's taking those and he's making a story out of them. Um, and the imagery he uses in those passages are beautiful. They're really beautiful. I may draw on some of them today. But when God makes this announcement and says, my home is with the people, He's drawing a direct comparison um, to chapter 18, verse 2, where it says Babylon is said there to be a home. And what's in that home? Foul demons, foul spirits, vultures, and unclean animals. Just pic picture a home with that in it and what it's like to enter into the doors, right? You meet a demon, a foul spirit, unclean animals, and vultures. This is a picture of God making his home with us. What a difference, right? And for the, the original hearers, again, you're living in Rome. 
Rome seems to have all the economic advantages that you'd want to connect to to be able to make your life work well. And to be faithful to God means you may lose out on some of those things. Yeah. And John, again, he's putting the big, big vision picture to them. Would you rather enter the house of vultures or the house where God is? Which one are you going to choose? Then in the last part of this, um, I think in verse 5 through 8, I think the key, ver- the key word here is when, when God says to John, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And what's interesting in this section is that it sounds a lot like chapters 1 through 3. Um, in chapters 1 through 3, the image of Jesus is revealed, the Alpha, Omega, the beginning and the end, all these things are being brought right now to the end of the story. And then also, um, the picture of those who are victorious. That phrase was used for every church when the churches were addressed individually, right? whether it's Philadelphia, Laodicea. Those who are victorious are those who push on to the end. They'll inherit something. And now what they inherit are the full blessings. What's interesting is the one metaphor that's used here is that for all who are thirsty, God will give them freely from springs of water of life. What's going on there? Imagine living in the Middle East, right? So Israel is a lot like California. And I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of Lake Powell recently, which feeds, right? There's a crisis going on, right? I mean, there's this rim around it. The water is so low. The consumption of water is so high that people are wondering now, will this last? Imagine if the water supply for all of the southwestern U.S. dried up. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, right. That's a lot of what this picture is. In, in that day, if you had a well, a cistern, a source of light, of water, you, that was like having gold, right? Mm-hmm. So imagine today if you know, suddenly all our phones started buzzing right now. We opened it up, we flipped it up, and there was news that if you go down to your local convenience store, anywhere now, it's all been supplied, you get these little pods. And if you just stick that pod on your house or on your car or anywhere, it gives you full energy, cooling your house, heating your house, Everything gets taken care of. The stove, all that kind of stuff. Your car is powered by it. Everything. And it's free. There's 50 billion of these units, and they keep reproducing somehow. And they're coming out of the ground. How would that change everyday life? Tremendously. How would that change racism? How would that change the news? How would that change who's in power and who's not in power? How would that change who has a lot and who doesn't? How would that change the experience of the poor? See what I'm saying? John is giving a picture here that's going to feed into the city that he reveals in a second that is like completely wiping out all the systems of injustice that Babylon relied on to prosper. And frankly, we do too. Right? The only reason we have, and this is verse 8, cowards, unbelievers, corrupt, murderers, immoral, witchcraft, idol worshipers, and liars is because of this system that we've bought into that's the devil's system, which is scarcity, power, oppression, making your mark, selfishness, all those things, right? If you have an abundant supply of everything you need, where would corruption fit? Well, I'm sure they'd find a way. They'd try to find a way, right? Yeah. Yeah. But here, what happens to them is they become nothing. Right, the, the image of the fiery lake that they get, that's their due. That means it, just, it gets burned up. 
Like there's nothing left of it. In a lot of ways, that's one of the definitions of evil, right? Is that it cannot exist without the presence of good. It's yeah. actually nothing. And it needs good to even kind of feed off of and thrive. And that's Satan, right? Like he was supposed to worship God. Instead, he fed off God for his own selfish desire and now creates havoc all over creation. When that's judged, it's like a mist that just disappears. There's no more room. There's no room in this system for corruption or lying or anything that hurts another person. So now let's look um, at what this might mean for us. How do we trust this story, right? For the people who originally heard this, John, again, he's kind of creating some bookends for the whole revelation. He's saying, trust this story. You might be living this way and experiencing this, but trust this story for your life. And I think what that means for us is to immerse ourselves in this story. You know, it's been said, like, um, I don't know if you've heard this phrase, but don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good, right? Or, um, you know, if you're just thinking about heaven and all that, that's like escapist, right? Um, Peter Kreeft, who I really like, he said, uh, who says that we shouldn't be escapists? Jailers. <laughs> In other words, we should long for freedom. We should long to escape the corruption, the frustration that we exist in all the time because we're made for something more. Mm-hmm. And it's only the jailer, right? Satan and his cohorts that want to keep us there. So the idea here is that for the people of God who are living in suffering and experiencing the systems of this world that crush down on us, dwell on this story that John is getting revealed to him. And I think what that means is we become people of hope. Amen. Rather than escaping the world, we have a hope that's so strong we can enter into the world mm-hmm. and bring that hope and a new system, in a sense, to others. And I think that's what the next part of this revelation is about. John wants to now, I mean, John now gets a picture of what is this city? What is this bride that's coming down? And let's hear it. This is it's pretty detailed and extensive. You, you almost wouldn't think this would be how kind of the big picture of the end would be revealed, right? But one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, come with me, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper, as clear as crystal. The city wall was broad and high, with twelve gates guarded by twelve angels. And the names of the twelve tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were written the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Wow. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. When he measured it, He found it was a square, really a cube, as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. In the original, it's 144,000 cubits, which is obviously a division, whatever, a multiple of 12, right? Then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick, or 144 cubits, I think it is. 
The wall was made of jasper. The city was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. The first was jasper, sapphire, agate, emerald, onyx, or onyx, onyx, sorry, carnelian, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, whatever that is, jacinth, and amethyst. <laughs> the 12 gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl. And the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. Wow. A lot of description, right? Like, John, imagine seeing this. Like, I, it's hard to picture, but imagine seeing this in a vision. But why go through all this detail about all the, the, the stones and the foundations and the gates and all the size and all of that? First, note that verses 9 and 10 where the, one of the seven angels says, come with me, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. This is a direct parallel, again, to 17, 1 to 3, which opens the narrative of Babylon, where the angel says the, almost the exact same words, but says, come and I'll show you the judgment that will come on to Babylon. So Babylon's a city, right? So really, this, these two things are, are contrasting two cities. What's the difference between Babylon city, which is really 17 through 20, and now this new Jerusalem city? And all these multiple of 12s and 3s and 10s are going on here, um, each of which in Jewish literature would have been significant. Um, so for instance, the size of the city is, you know, I think it's 12 by 12 by 10 by 10 by 10, right? So it's three 10s and two 12s, right? Um, so, I mean, that's a picture of 12 is often used, right, for the 12 tribes of Israel or the 12 apostles. It's the fullness of God's people. Three is like of God, the Trinity, right, the completeness there. So if you have two 12s and three 10s, 10s was often meant to mean like the, the whole. Like the, it's like a round number for the big. And a 1,000 is like the round number for everybody. So this is like saying everybody, 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 fullness, 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 right? The size of the city is like... That's the idea, right? Um, it's everything. And the 12 gates and the 12 foundation stones are the two covenants of God. The Old Testament and the New Testament are coming together in gates and foundations and making up this city. The idea that John is seeing here, if you were to put it into words, would be God is saying, I'm faithful, I'm true, what I say will come to pass, my covenants are coming to life. And in the most complete way you could possibly imagine. What's interesting with the measuring stick, too, is that it's a cube. Anybody else know what was in the shape of the cube in the Old Testament? It's the Holy of Holies. Yes, were you going to say that? No? Yes, that too. So, but the, when Moses is given the measurements to make the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctuary where only the high priest could go once a year into the presence of God, and if he came any other time, get wiped out. It was a cube in the tabernacle in the desert. And then when the temple was built in Jerusalem, same thing. The Holy Holy was this big, huge area uh, that was a cube. And so what John is seeing is kind of the, the ongoing revelation of what this is. So for Moses, it was big enough to fit in the tabernacle, which was for the people in the desert. When it entered into the temple in Jerusalem, it was big enough to fit into the city of Jerusalem for all the, the residents and the pilgrims that would come and 
come into that place. Then in Ezekiel, he also has an angel with a measuring stick, and that temple now is the size of the whole city of Jerusalem. So the idea is that all God's people can fit inside the Holy of Holies. John now sees something the size of the Roman Empire. Hmm. I mean, think about that, 1,400 miles. Yeah. It would be like us saying the whole earth. Right? For them, their understanding of kind of the whole earth would have been this big. So in other words, this city is big enough for everybody. Wow. It's pretty amazing, actually. The thing about the city, too, is that um, if you think of the original story, it starts in a... Genesis. Genesis, but what is, what's the physical layout? Where are Adam and Eve? In a... Garden. Garden, right, yeah. And here it ends in a city. And you get the sense that the original vocation of Adam and Eve, right? Where they were to, to reign over the earth, in a sense to bring God's kingdom to earth. You can imagine that cities would probably have been built mm-hmm. when they populated the earth, right? Beautiful cities. Maybe like this city that's full and rich and ornamented and it blesses anybody that is part of it, right? Instead, what happened, right? Babel was probably the start of that, right? The congregation of people are coming and, and it's a rebellious kind of attitude towards God, selfish and uh, and divisive. Cities throughout the scripture, and Babylon was the kind of height of this, were seen as places where rebellion and corruption and injustice existed. Now God is making a new city where the opposite is true. And I think a message for us today is which city are we building? You know, as the church, which city are we invested in? Which city do we see? And what are we trying to aim for? A lot of churches, like especially when you think of the hot issues of today, whether it's climate change, um, Supreme Court stuff, politics and who to vote for, race, being woke, you know, all these kind of things thrown out there. How does the church engage with that? I think a lot of times we choose the same language and systems of Babylon to enter into that with a slightly different flavor maybe. Not like a radically different engagement of that that's based on abundance and hope and bringing God's values and, and, and reign into those things. Um, what a joy it would be to see the church being that. I think one simple example of how we can do this, um, for instance, take any of those issues I just mentioned. If you're in a conversation or you hear it coming at you, you see it on the news, hear it on the news, what if we choose to listen rather than react? What if we're hearing something that's somebody who's really different from us? I mean, really different. It may even cause us offense. What would it look like to actually open our hands and hearts enough to say, I'm willing to listen to you and let you into my life without any chance to fix you, change your mind, convince you of my point of view, or anything like that? I actually think that might be one. If the church did that as a whole, how would that be different with these hot-button issues in our culture? I think a lot of people would be flocking to hear what the gospel actually has to say because they'd be welcomed and received. God's going to make a new city. Let's be that city. Let's dwell on the end of this story with all of our hearts. Then the last part of this passage, verses 23 to 27, goes into a little bit more substantial depth about this city. And what, would, what it would be like to actually be in it. 
And this is what John sees. 22. I think. Yeah. 22? Yep. Sorry. There it is. Good. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there's no night there. And all the nations, listen to this, all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those who name, whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So in this city, um, there's no temple, and there's no sun, and there's no moon. Um, one of the ways to kind of picture this is imagine, um, like we were playing some songs in the beginning of the service, right? Imagine your favorite artist, and you're at home listening on Spotify or on the radio or something to that artist. When suddenly in your backyard, imagine if it's not, but if it's big enough, that artist with all their entourage, the lights, the sound, everything shows up in your backyard and starts playing. What would you do? Would you stay in listening to your Spotify on your earbuds? Or would you go in the backyard, right? If that artist showed up, you'd want to hear the real thing, right? So what you're hearing, though it's the artist playing, it's not quite the real thing. And if they showed up, you'd want to go to where the real thing is. That's what's happening here. It doesn't mean the temple was a stupid idea. The sun and the moon are irrelevant. It just means that they're a shadow of the real thing. And now you get to see it. And again, in Narnia, there's a, uh, in that last book, there's a description where all these kids who were part of Narnia, um, and they fell in love with this land. Um, they're in this new part country, this kind of Aslan's country. And, and they're, they're going like, something, something feels similar here, but it's so different. And they end up looking around and realizing, oh, it's Narnia, but... And the way they described it, it's just more real. It's more real. It's the real thing. Mm -hmm. And they begin to realize what was what they had before, though beautiful and lovely and everything, it just wasn't so good as what they're experiencing now. And what they're experiencing now has all the flavors of before, but it's like they're intensified. It's a beautiful picture of, of what's going on here for John. But also what's going on is these three words, temple, sun, and moon, would be pretty significant to anybody who's hearing this, where this letter is written, because those three things would be exactly what separates and defines different nations. The sun and the moon were the two most um, worshipped and turned into idol gods, objects, in, because they're the two brightest things in our, at night, at night and in the daytime. And so they were turned into gods, and each nation or each ethnic group would have a way of creating a temple or some way of worshiping those gods. And so that's what would divide one nation against the other. Like, we're right, you're wrong. Our gods are better than your gods. What this picture is to John is showing that those things are gone, and now God is the one in the city uniting everything. And suddenly, these gates that never close and don't have to are open, and who comes in? All the nations all the nations. And what do they bring? Glory, splendor, really, and honor, right? All the good things come in. 
Now, I want you to imagine what John is seeing. Think, think of the Olympics, right, where people have their, their banners for their countries. And imagine John watching that, and he sees on one of the banners, Rome. All the nations. It doesn't say, except for those that. It says here, all the nations. And so John would have to watch Rome come into this new city. But he can rejoice because it's different. All that was evil about that cannot enter in. So it's this purification and beautiful picture of all that was good and right from every nation being able to come in to God's place. Yes, the refugee song we sing. Let all come and enter in. Where I'm standing right here is land that originally belonged to somebody else. There's a tribe of people that lived here for thousands and thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And because of the systems of the world and how things operate and white supremacy and this view that, that some people are more uh, advanced and civilized than others, the land was reshuffled economically and unjustly, unjustly. And so now there's, I think, current, like Abenaki in Maine is like a thousand, maybe, mm -hmm. when there were 40,000 in the past. Imagine that nation coming in with honor and glory Amen. and restoration, right? So there's a picture of the oppressors and the oppressed being redefined and able to come in and now justice will be done for all. And I could just imagine, I'm, ch I'm chilled even talking about that, like what it will be like to see peoples that were eliminated from this world mm. brought back into glory and honor because that's what God wants to do. Amen. He loves people. He loves every nation. We vilify you know, China or Taiwan, Russia or Ukraine. Like, we just, we form we these sweat. opinions in our head. We, we like to do that because it orders our world and helps us to navigate. God does not do that. He sees through the evil into the honor and the good. And he brings that to the end and shines a light on it. What if we did that today? Hard. It's hard. It's really hard. <laughs> But when you hear the news, when you see people of other ethnicities, when you look at the tensions that exist, what if we became treasure hunters of honor and glory for others that are around us and groups of people that are around mm -hmm. us? The idea here in what John is getting revealed is that there is a different way. There's a radically different way of life that God embodies and will one day bring to life and the churches that are experiencing the frustration and the oppression in this world right now are called to live into that life, even if it costs them their life. Mm. Because one day, they will get to march into this city and experience that forever and ever. And for us, I think that's what John wants us to hear even today. That's the revelation, that God will have his way. And so when we choose hope, and move closer to the frustration of the world because we're so tied to our heavenly home. When we choose to live differently and bring simple ways of love, peace, honesty, and kindness, like a new city moving in, or when we choose to bring honor and glory to those around us, even those we don't agree with or understand, 
I think each of these choices in this picture of this new city would be like putting a gemstone on the foundation of this city. We're building it now. We're building it now. Just like the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles built it in the past, we're continuing to adorn this city that will one day get revealed. Let's make it beautiful by what we do today. Let's pray.